two-part study over the next two weeks, this week and next week. We did it previously with a different topic, a focus that Mark was having. We're going to do it again starting this week and next week. It's the cost of discipleship. And I was really trying to think of a title or something else to express what Mark is trying to get across to us in this, in this sandwich. But, but really, the, the deal is, when you follow Jesus, and we've talked about this before, you can be a follower like we saw before, or you can be a disciple. The word disciple is also connected loosely to the word discipline. Disciple, discipline. It means you're training for something. You're submitting yourself to someone. But when you're following Jesus, you can kind of pick up, you know, when you want to, when you feel like it. But a disciple's there through everything. And the next two weeks and further, we're going to see what that looks like for the disciples who are with Jesus. And really, there's a direct parallel for us today if we want to consider the cost of what it means to really submit ourselves under a master who cares for us but wants to bring us through stuff to train us so that we can be like him. Do you want to be like Jesus? Anybody want to be like Jesus this morning? What does that mean? That means going through a training program. Jesus is your uh, personal trainer through life. And as you deal with certain things, he's there for you to spot you. You just have to be willing to let him. This is what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in the beginning of chapter 6. So we finished up in in, uh, Mark chapter 6 with the people from Jesus' home area not believing. Now, I don't know um, if you guys remember that, but let's go ahead and look at chapter 6, verse 1 to get a refresher. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which he is given to him? What such mighty works are performed by his hand? hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, J- uh, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own home. Now he he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. I think that this is probably one of the most tragic things in the New Testament. Can you imagine the people that were supposed to be the closest to you, the people that you probably loved the most, the people that you wanted to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, because they grew up with you, they they had some distance they put between themselves, between Jesus. And his desire, his passion was that they would receive the same things that everybody else was receiving. They would receive healing. They would receive the good things of God. And many times in life, it's those who are closest to us that are the most difficult to minister to. Can I get a witness? You guys have, 
have struggles with, with your parents, with your kids, with your grandpas, with your uncles and your aunts. It's hard. You want to be there for them. You want to love them. But there's something that, that wedges in between you. And then years later down the road, somebody comes into that person's life and shares spiritual truth with them, and they respond, and you're like, I've been telling you that for years. Come on. I've only been here to love you and to help you. But they weren't really willing to receive all that God had for them because of a level of unbelief. Because of the relationship that you had. Listen, I've heard this so many times. I, and I don't know how exactly it fits, but I just want to warn you guys this morning. Listen, God's called you to be where you are right now for a purpose and a reason. He's prepared you and equipped you for that. I've heard so many people say, I'm moving here or I'm moving there or I'm moving to go be with my family because they really need Jesus right now. Listen, Jesus knows they need him. They know. He knows. And he's going to take care of them. Don't make decisions in your life to place yourself in a position where they're not really willing to hear anyway, and then it's going to compromise what your personal calling is that's separate from your family. Does that make sense? I don't know. I've just seen it so many times. I've seen a young, vibrant, passionate person involved in missions, going to India, serving the orb, doing all kinds of stuff, and then thought that their calling was to go be with their family, and they went and, and, and they were with their unbelieving family to share the gospel with them, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't six months, a year later, that they were completely different people. They allowed it to change them. They, they, they allowed it to stop what Jesus had started to do in their life. And that doesn't mean that it stopped permanently, but it stunted. So what would Jesus do? Does Jesus give up on his family? Does Jesus give up on these people? Maybe it would have been easy to say, hey, listen, I'm here for you guys. I'm the son of God. I'm here to help you, please, and beg them and plead with them. But he didn't do that. This is where our... our bun starts or our first part of the sandwich what does he do to get across to them verse 7 and he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits if you guys aren't going to listen to me maybe you'll listen to somebody else and he separates himself from the situation Not only does he separate himself and send them out two by two. Remember, in Jewish culture and tradition, a testimony is built or founded on two or three witnesses. He didn't send them out individually. He sent them out by twos to testify of what they were receiving from Jesus. And not only did he give him that calling, but he gave them the equipping of the power to do it. We're going to look at four things this morning that Jesus did with his disciples, we're going to see right there, verse 7, he called them. They received a special calling for this thing that Jesus wanted them to do. The second thing we're going to see is he sends them. Usually when Jesus calls, he also sends. And what I've heard from a lot of people who desire to get into ministry or serve the Lord, they receive the calling and they think that it's supposed to happen tomorrow. When not necessarily, uh, that's not necessarily how it is. There's a preparation process. Just because you've received a calling doesn't mean that it's time to be sent. So they received a calling, and then there's a sending, 
And then we're going to see the last two of the four as we finish out this study, the first part of the two parts, that there's a cost and there's a reward. Many people only want to talk about the reward. Isn't that how churches get so big? Because <laughs> all they talk about is the reward. Now, I, I remember a story very clearly from a brother who attends this church. It was going to a mega church in the city here, and they were reading a portion of Scripture back when he was going to that church. And when they got to a certain part that the pastor did not address, he very literally skipped over it to continue to dive into the reward of the passage. But we have to consider everything. We have to look at the whole picture. The calling is good. The sending is great. There's a cost. But there's also a reward. Look at the first things they see in the beginning before they're even sent. They're already starting to benefit from the calling. They're already experiencing the reward. What does it say? That he sent them out two by two and gave them power. Who wants power? You guys want power to live your lives? I think many times also when we're talking about reward, we look at a verse like this in Acts chapter 1, which the word power here in the Greek is not the same as the one in Acts chapter 1. This is an authority. It's a free will authority he gives them. It's not dunamis in in Acts chapter 1, but, but we'll talk about that in a second. But this power that he gives them, who is it for? Think about it. Who's it for? It's for the people. Is it for them? I know that so often when I'm seeking God, I'm seeking him for myself. I'm I'm seeking him for my issues. I'm seeking him for my family. I'm seeking him for my church, our church. I'm seeking him for things for me. But we see the calling and the sending and the equipping of power was for others. It was for others. So when you're getting up tomorrow to start your week and you're going to go to work or you're going to go to school, instead of asking God for the power that you need to get through the week, let's ask God this week for the power to give away to others. Because that's not really the kind of that we live in anymore, is it? We're so consumer-oriented. We're so self-focused. Not you. Not the church. We are given the power for others. And we have to make sure that we're not getting that confused with the power that we need. We have to be looking to give to others. Are we? Are you looking to give to others? Or are you just barely trying to make it through the day? That's what the next study is going to be next week. Jesus talks about it. He says, they're in this kind of position because I put them there and I'm there with them through it. And he is able, he does sustain them. It's their attitude that's stinky. Anybody got a stinky attitude this morning? Did you have a hard week? Let's look at our prayer to the Lord today to be to receive the power from the Holy Spirit to give to others because if i don't have 
the power of God to give to others. I don't have anything to give. And you don't have anything to give. You can't pour out unless you're being poured in. So he very clearly says, you guys go out. He gives them power over the unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. So Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, I want you to travel light. (laughs) Are you guys able to do that? Man, we were trained. The Lord trained us. When we were living overseas, we were on the mission field. We're so good that we took this little trip to California for a few days to see family. Grace packed all of our things that we needed to take in one suitcase. Can I get a witness? Thank you, baby. She packed everything. Five kids and two adults in one suitcase. We were ready for anything. And I don't have to wear a shirt. You know, like I'm not. We're going to the beach. Jesus wanted his disciples. What's that? I had shirts. She took care of business. Don't worry. Jesus wanted his disciples to be ready for anything, but to also be prepared to trust him. Do you know these things that Jesus instructed them to take is the exact things that he instructed the children of Israel to take when they were leaving Egypt in the book of Exodus? Interesting, huh? The same four things. We would make that connection and say, God is doing something as powerful now in this day and age when Jesus was sending his disciples out two by two that could be compared to the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt. Do you remember what the, the God referred to Egypt as to the Israelites? Remember what he reminded them frequently about? He said, I delivered you from the household of bondage. And then here, he's given the disciples authority and power over what? Evil spirits, unclean spirits. What is he doing? He's giving deliverance. And that's what people need today. You ask them what they need, they need deliverance. And Jesus doesn't want them to be bogged down with anything. They could prohibit them from ministering to somebody. Oh, we're running out of money. Look at my money belts getting a little low. He also said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. As assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. They used to, back in that time, kick the dust off their sandals when they went into Sumerian country before they were going into the promised land area. And this is signifying God's kingdom being rejected by a people. And they knew when they saw the disciples doing this, they knew what it meant. Why would it be worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, the kingdom of God, the son of God himself, and his closest disciples were the witness to these people. 
What did Sodom and Gomorrah have? They had two angels. There wasn't a, a testimony to them that they had Job and his family. But these people, they didn't have just a righteous witness like the Bible says Job was to Sodom and Gomorrah. They had Jesus Christ and his disciples himself. A greater responsibility. So they went out and preached that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So the response is different. We don't know exactly if they're in the same spot, but we see that there was some friction in their response to Jesus. But as the people are sent out two by two, they're willing to receive and many are healed. Verse 14. Now King Herod heard of him, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said it is Elijah, and others said it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. And when Herod heard, he said, This is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John, and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So here's the inside of the sandwich. It's going to give us clarity to the overall picture Mark is trying to paint for us. He starts off with saying the disciples are sent out. Now, for them, it was the next level of testing, of refining for their call that was not only happening then, but what would happen also in the future. But then we have this story of Herod believing that it was uh, John the Baptist who was raised from the dead, but it segues to the details of the killing of John the Baptist. But it's connected to the disciples going out two by two and preaching about the kingdom of God. This is part of the cost of being a disciple. Because John was, you know, uh, the greatest man born among women. He testified solemnly and and clearly that Jesus was the son of God, that the lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. And we see the reason for Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. The connection between the first part of the story and this part of the story is it says that they were to be going out and preaching repentance. What was John doing? He was preaching repentance. And he was saying, hey, listen, Herod, what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong. And it made, uh, it made her very upset. And the response was that she wanted John the Baptist dead because of the conviction that she felt from the truth that John was speaking to them as a couple. Therefore, Herodias, in verse 19, held it against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he protected him. And when he had heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. There is somebody who is willing to hear truth and willing to allow truth to come close, but when it got a little too close for comfort, push it back away. He recognized that there was a righteousness that was true in John, but he didn't want to respond to it. 
Herodias, on the other hand, she wanted him dead. This is the kind of relationships that I feel like we have in the world. It's like there's people who are truth seekers. They're interested. They want to know. They're not really willing to submit to Jesus yet, but they're willing to, to, to talk about it, to listen about it. And then there's those others who want to kill you. They want your job. They want, they want you done. This is part of the process, whether we like it or not, for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The good part was that they had power. The good part was that they were helping people. That, that it was, it, it was a, a, a ministry experience unlike any other. The bad part was that it was uh, it threatened their lives. And John demonstrated, as we're going to see, that he was going to continue to preach and proclaim the truth. Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles and high officers, the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Now you have to remember, this is back in the day when your word meant something. You know? I find it, uh, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I, I think it's it's hilarious how you can, you can look at these videos because we have this uncanny ability. It's called, uh, you know, videotaping, I think, or something like that, to record somebody's words, what they're saying. And you can look at this string. You can look at this individual, this specific person. Let's not bring up any names, okay? But like 1995, this is what they were saying publicly as a politician. And you can follow them all the way up into the present. And they changed their mind like five or six times. But back then, he had to do what he said. He said, I'll give you anything. She's like, oh, what do I get? What should I get? What should I do? So she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. No hesitation. This is something that she was hungering for. To kill the man who was a representative of righteousness in her life. Immediately she came in with, the haste, with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and the, because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, brought the head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. I think I shared this recently when I was thinking about it and preparing my notes for this morning. When I was a younger Christian, um, somebody gifted me, gave me the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Have you guys ever read that book before? <laughs> oh, man. Talk about scaring the, <laughs> the life out of you. 
here I am, like late teens, early 20s. Somebody gives me this book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I'm reading about all these people, even young people, who are being killed for their faith in Jesus. And my response was, I don't know, have you guys ever read that? Anybody ever read that book before? Check it out. My response was, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I'm not willing. I want to get married, and I went, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you, Lord. But that's a tall order. Let's not go there, okay? And I, I don't even think I could finish the book. But I don't even know what point it was at in my life with the Lord as I was following him where I recognized the value was so much more in the eternal than the temporal. The, the focus changed or switched from what I could receive or who I was in that day or me as a person to the greater good for God's authority over the whole earth and how I could be a part of that and how I would be privileged possibly to give my life. And the Lord said, would you do it? So I was in Las Vegas. I was a teamster driving a water tanker, off-road construction stuff. There was a pipeline coming through town, and the Lord told me, I want you to go to uh, college in Hungary, to Bible college in Hungary. Very clear, he told me he wanted me to go. So I was really excited. I was really um, eager to go. I wanted to fulfill what I know the Lord told me to do. I had a good job at the time. I was saving up money. And then a week before I was supposed to leave, Uh, This lady, the self-proclaimed prophetess, who was a friend of my mom's, called my mom and said, Hey, I have to tell you something uh, that's been bothering me. I feel compelled to tell you. I've been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm almost at the end of my fast. And as I was praying, the Lord put me in a trance and I saw uh, this whole scenario unfolded unfold and it and it had to do the whole thing had to do with tim and and i i need you to warn him and she goes on to tell the lady the lord told me that if tim goes to europe to go to college that it's going to be in disobedience to god that he doesn't want tim to go and he's going to pay for it with his life true story so i get home from work i walk in the door you know, <laughs> hey, mom, what's up? You know, happy. She's wringing her hands, washing the dishes. You know, there's no dish in her hand. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she says, hey, I need to talk to you. Come sit down. I said, okay. So I, we went, go in the living room, and I sit down. And she said, I got a call from somebody today, you know. And, and this is what they said. They said that, that if you go over, that you're being disobedient to God, and you're going to die. And I was like, What? Are you kidding me? Because you know there's, there's just maybe a, f- a handful of times in your life that you really, really sense that you've heard from the Lord. You know, like this is what God wants me to do. And that you're so excited about it. And I said, no, no, no. You know what? That's not my God. That, what she said, that's not my God. My God is the one who, who leads me in righteousness for his namesake. My God doesn't threaten me with death as a punishment. 
And she went into this whole thing how she saw a building and there were people who busted into the building. And it wasn't just me. I wasn't just losing. They, they, they massacred the whole campus. And there was dead bodies everywhere. She made it very graphic. She saw the whole thing in her mind's eye. And I'm like, no, this, this, is, this, is, this isn't from the Lord. This is from the enemy. I went to, the, I went to work the next day. And I'm, and I'm praying, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not so much worried about dying as much as I'm worried about really doing what you want me to do. Like, I don't care about dying. And the Lord popped a verse in my head in the book of Acts, chapter and verse, and instructed me to turn there. And I turned in the book in that moment, and the verse said, Paul's responding to the people who were trying to keep him from going to Jerusalem. He says to them, why are you weeping or why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem for the sake of the Lord, but I'm willing to go there and die for him. And it was at that point where the question wasn't answered. The Lord wasn't like, Tim, you're not going to die. But if that was on the table, how would you respond differently to this situation? And I had to humbly in my heart say, even if doing the Lord's will means that I'm going to experience death, blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, guys, I know that that's heavy this morning, okay? I get it. We want to talk about the power. We want to talk about the treasure. We want to talk about the privilege. We want to talk about the benefits, the gifts. But really, the gifts don't matter as much in your life if you're not using them, the power of God, to bless others, especially as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you a follower? Are you a fan? Or are you disciplined? Are you a disciple? And if the question comes up, this is what part of the cost is going to be. Are we willing to say, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. I'll continue to be a witness to my family. I'll continue to be a witness to those around me. I'll continue to be your disciple. Lead me in the direction, in the way that you want me to go. Give me the power to help others so that I can be who you want me to be, testifying of you before it's too late. That warning to Sodom and Gomorrah is sobering, isn't it? It's that there is a judgment coming. But you and I, did you get worried when we read that? Did you think, oh man, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's scary. That's going to be, no, you're not worried about it. You know why? Because you're not going to partake of it. You're not going to be in Sodom and Gomorrah when it's getting judged. You're not going to be on the earth when God is judging it. God disciplines us, but he doesn't judge in that same sense that he's talking about with Sodom and Gomorrah. Do we have the power? Are we taking the power? Not for ourselves, but to give others Interestingly, this past week was the anniversary of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot moving to Ecuador. You guys have heard of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot? February 21st, 1952, they moved to Ecuador. 
this past week, 1952. In the years previously, building up to them going to reach and minister to these unreached, violent tribes, one of the most famous quotes from Jim Elliot, he writes on October 28, 1949 in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Can you keep your life? Can I keep my life? Can I change the course of my life? I can sure try, but nothing changes, and it's not the same, especially when we're talking about life. When you give up your life, that's when you find it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus' disciples had heard about John's treatment. They knew what had happened. They're in, a, they're in a season now where they're experiencing a greater blessing from Jesus. Let's end in this, these last couple verses. Verse 30. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted, deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Could you imagine the joy of the disciples coming back to Jesus? In fact, this is the least detailed in their expression. The other gospels, you know, we, we, we had the power of God. We we're casting demons out. Remember what Jesus' response said was? I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Do not rejoice that you have this power over the demons, but yet rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The focus is on the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not the gifts. It's not the privileges. It's the power that God's given you for salvation and he's given you that also, that gift to give to others. This is where the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry comes in. We talk about this from Sunday to Sunday, and we study through the scriptures we see, because it's what we're supposed to be doing. We don't take this power that we have to have security and peace and happiness and hoard it. We take it to be able to give it to others so that they can experience the power of God as well. And we have to have that mentality. Would you pray with me this week? When you guys are waking up tomorrow, when you're going to bed tonight, God, what is the level, what is the power of your presence that you can give to me? Give me the power that I need through the week, not for myself, but to give to others. Because God knows who you're going to run into. God knows who you're going to talk to. He knows who's going to call you. He knows that email you're going to get. He knows what you're going to go through. And what we need to be is in a place where we're not focused on how we can benefit from an exchange, but how we can benefit somebody else. And this isn't paying it forward. This isn't a free latte in the line at Starbucks, this is better than that. This is life. It's the best thing that you've experienced, isn't it?
We have to talk to others about it. We have to give it to them. And we have to take into consideration the whole cost of discipleship and allow ourselves in some things to put it to the side. Not overpack the bags. Have too much security and stuff. Have pensions and retirement plans and 401ks. And I'm not saying that stuff is bad, but when the focus is on that stuff, rather than what you have from God to give to others, then it's bad. Do you know why? Because the 401k is for you. Unless you want to give me some. I mean, right? It's for others. So let's try to do that this week. And I really would like to hear, I'm not just saying this, and I don't want us to just say it like as a a Bible study on Sunday morning. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what experience you had this week as Jesus' disciples as he gives you opportunity to receive the power that he's given you and give it to others and how it affected the trajectory of your week. Amen? Let's pray. God, we need your power. Really, we need your power so badly. You know. You know we need your power so badly for ourselves to get through our things and our issues and our struggles But God, we want to take your example that we saw this morning to the next level. We want to be about receiving your power so that we can give it to others. So that we can bless somebody else. Not monetarily. Not in some way that makes their day a little brighter or easier. But maybe that coupled with definitely Your word, your truth, your love for people, the kingdom of God, his desire, your desire to have a relationship with them for the forgiveness of sins to happen and the reconciliation that you desire for them using us as your witnesses. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you would Remind us throughout the week that we prayed this prayer for power to give to others. You bring it to remembrance so that we can glorify you with our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen.